0: Welcome to the Small Town Wealth Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Small Town Wealth Podcast. This is our fourth episode. Today's guest is Dave Rothwell, also known as Super Dave in the martial arts world. Dave will bring some new perspectives to our podcast guests, fusing practical advice from both his training regimen and his business ventures in this field.
1: Dave is the co-owner of Pacific Top Team in Vernon, B.C. Pacific Top Team is a multi-location Brazilian jiu-jitsu organization founded in British Columbia. Dave has always remained a key part of this organization, largely because of his accomplishments in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and submission grappling. Dave has obtained various
0: accolades along his journey. He is a recent Masters World Champion, a European Open gold and bronze medalist, and an American National silver and bronze medalist. He has been a black belt since 2007 and has been teaching since 2000. He has fought the best of the best and has
1: a wealth of wisdom to share as a result. Dave is a lifelong proponent of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu lifestyle. He believes that your ego can either guide you or destroy you depending on how you harness it. His journey in combat sports has also given him many lessons in leadership and camaraderie, some of which he is happy to share with us today.
0: Dave is a friend and teacher to many and we are excited to pick his brain. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Dave Rothwell. Well, Dave, welcome uh, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today?
2: Good, and thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, joined by David as well. Uh, really What's happy up? to be doing this this podcast today. A uh, little bit of a venture off into the last, you know, compared to the last three episodes. Um, so we're really excited to have Dave on because he's going to give us a different perspective. It's business perspective fused with, with martial arts and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in particular. So uh, before we go into the lessons that you have for us, Dave, like why don't you go into your background? Like what, how did this start? What precipitated the whole Super Dave phenomenon and, and what drove you to do exactly what you're doing today?
2: So uh, going back to, uh, I mean, I grew up on the coast and uh, growing up, I always wanted to uh, be a police officer. So, um, you know, getting into my twenties, I kind of, uh, you know, jumped around from job to job, but was still focused on becoming a, becoming a police officer. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, um, I remember, uh, in my early twenties, uh, wanting to do, to do martial arts, I guess the supplement working towards being a police officer. And, uh, so I tried a lot of different martial arts. And uh, probably about five or six different ones and um, just none of them really really grabbed me so uh, you know there's a period there where I wasn't trying them and uh, and then I saw this uh, I heard uh, I saw a a guy named uh, Hoyce Gracie fight in one of the early Ultimate Fighting Championships and uh, the thing that I liked that grabbed me was uh, he's a a jiu-jitsu black belt but he basically defeated his opponents without basically without real striking or kicking and you know he's a 165 pound guy and uh, right then and there I knew that I wanted to do jiu jitsu but uh, the problem was there was no jiu-jitsu in BC at the time so uh, uh you know I've kind of skipped skipped a little bit of you know uh, a little bit of you know growing up and stuff but you know I did to, to go back a little bit on that regard I mean, typical kid right I played football you know had uh four or five buddies I hung out with my whole life grew up in Coquitlam and um so you know there's nothing really exciting there uh <laughs> were you always this big for those that
1: are yeah. listening Dave is what six foot three four.
2: yeah Two six, four. Six, four. Six, four? Yeah. 220
1: yeah. 220 okay so were you always a, one of, yeah. like a big kid or did yeah, you yeah I was always spark? I was always a big
2: second second or biggest kid out of the group of kids and uh you know i never played sports until i was 15 and then my buddy chris jarl um got me to start playing football and uh you know i, I always liked the, the the technical part of any sport that i did watch and uh, and then i started playing football and uh i couldn't catch a football worth worth a lick and so they put me on the defensive line so for the first for the first first year i um played uh, defensive lineman like I was a grunt there's basically the ball snapped and you run after the quarterback <laughs> but myself and another friend we did not want he, he was in the same position he did not we did not want to be linemen so every day after practice we would go to the parking lot uh, at, at the mall and, the, and the, the, the mall parking lot was always lit up 24-7 so we would throw the football at each other for two hours after each practice every night of the week interesting until we got our it hands, yeah, until we had hands so we could catch the ball. So we continued to, you know, suck it up and play defensive linemen. And, uh, and then the following year, we were starting wide receivers. And uh, so, you know, so football was a big thing. I thought that I might play, play a bit of college ball and even dreamed of playing pro ball. But, you know, that didn't, uh, that didn't happen. I, I realized I didn't have the killer instinct. And after a concussion playing junior ball, I was done. So, uh, yeah, and then I just kind of, uh, like I said, get back to where in my mid twenties, uh, looking, looking to be, to be a police officer. And what brought
0: you into that field? Like, what made you want to be a police officer from the beginning? Uh,
2: you know, I just like the, the community. The I, I like the community aspect of it. Um, those guys are, you know, firemen, police officers. You know, they're uh, they're they're on the streets every day and. Helping the community in the best, you know, in, in, a, in a very uh, noble way. So,
1: was it a run into with somebody though? Like, did you like witness something with a police officer? Did you have a run in with them? Like, what yeah. what kind of drove that idea? You
2: no, know, you know, I just, uh, you know, um, a lot of my family was in the military, so you know, thoughts of military were definitely in there. But, uh, you know, uh, I think the police the police was a better something that you can give directly to the community every day, whereas the military, which is a you know, would be a would it be a great career, but I think it's a little different than being a police officer uh, you know, in on the various com- fronts, right? On various fronts. So uh yeah, um yeah, I don't really have anything specific.
1: Fair enough. Regard. Fair enough. So let's segue back then. So concussion, realizing football football dream is over. Yep. Um was it now that you've kind of, because did you dabble in martial arts before that, or was it now where you kind of started to look into it?
2: Uh, it was, as at, was at that point where uh, I needed something. I, I started playing a bit of uh, pickup football, and, um, you know, I just needed a sport, but I found that I didn't like the team sports anymore. I felt, uh, you know, it was supposed to be a team sport, but everybody's an individual on the team. And, uh, you know, uh, I needed something that I could do on my own. And, uh, so, you know, martial arts seemed like a good one, you know, obviously there's some other sports out there that are good individual sports like badminton and stuff, but I needed to be pushed a little, a little bit harder and yeah, not that there's anything wrong with badminton, but <laughs> no, no, no. I, I really, I like badminton. Right? I, I like how, I like how the first individual sport that you thought of was badminton. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I always, you know, I, I, Hey, in high school, you know, they had king of the, king of the court and badminton. I could never, I could never make the the king's court in Babington it was always one court away court away so uh, no don't misunderstand I I do like Babington, but I didn't I didn't feel I didn't feel uh, that was something that I could do I don't know into my fifties or sixties or for the rest of my life so so I started looking for the martial arts and uh, you know I jumped back to the uh, uh, looking for jiu jitsu I the, the Roy the Hoist Gracie thing you know I I started looking for jujitsu and there was no jujitsu and um so
1: there was nowhere to train. You no, were still in Vancouver. Right? I was in
2: Vancouver. I was living in Richmond with a friend and uh you know nobody had really even heard of, of jujitsu. Some a lot of the people really didn't even understand what what Hoist Gracie had done um in the UFC. So and then uh by total luck I um I lived um where I was living was on a, a dead end street, a long dead end street, and I always walked the five blocks to the grocery store. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, as I walked out of my place, I was gonna cross the uh, street. Um, a red Nissan Pathfinder took a left uh, onto my street, and I saw like a kind of a grappling picture on the side of the side of the, uh, the vehicle, and uh, and then uh, and then as the truck kept going it said brazilian jiu jitsu in the back and i still remember the phone number and it said uh creative fighter's guild and uh that was um a, a, an instructor named trevor clarkson who okay. was a blue belt in brazilian jiu jitsu and uh, as it turned out and he was the only one in the province and the only blue belt the in the only bu- at this point at this point uh, this I mean, is early 90s this would have been 96 a 96 okay. yeah so you know even marcus Juarez. Hadn't, had did not come into town uh, into Vancouver for another six months. Right,
0: because he came from down south. He
2: came from Brazil. Right. Yes. So as it turns out, I so uh, right away I was blown away that there was nothing in BC, and then it happened to be a guy teaching on my block, the only guy in BC. And uh, so, anyways, I called. With destiny. Yeah, yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. And so I called the number, and Trevor told me, you know, he obviously had knew I had no experience. And uh, he told me to come down and he was teaching in a garage, which was about 20 by 20. And I brought my karate uniform because that was the last martial art that I was trying. Right. And um, so basically, you know, jujitsu then was tough because, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of instruction. So Trevor was very raw himself and um, basically they didn't really tell you much. They showed he showed one simple technique and uh, and then they unleashed everybody in the class to wrestle. And, um, oh, wow. it, like I had, I didn't even talk about tapping out like simple tapping out, you know, one, two, three on a person's shoulder and they'll stop wrestling if you if you get uncomfortable. So I had no idea. So, you know, after, after a brutal warm up of a thousand sit-ups, a 10 minutes of technique, I get thrown in with some 16 year old kid who's a, you know, probably 50 pounds lighter than me. And he made me scream out loud probably 40 or 50 times in the time, you know, I wrestled him probably two or three times that class. And, uh, you know, obviously after the first time I yelled out loud, they said, okay, dude, you need to tap out when somebody puts a choker and arm bar on you. So I, so they, they, didn't teach they did that not tell course. me how to, to not. <laughs> so anyway, some six, yes, yeah, 16 year old kids trying to,
1: Break your arm, break my arm,
2: and uh, I didn't know what to do other than try to power out of it. So, do you think that that kind of helped you though, or was it just
1: like, was it? Would you have preferred that they told you about tapping out, or did that kind of help you with
2: trying to get out of it, even fighting through the pain? Absolutely, wish they would have told me, because because you know what, there's a lot of people back in the day in the '90s that probably would still be doing jujitsu if they were told that because if you don't tell somebody that now, you're, you're, you're not going to have very many students in your club. So I, I went home that night, you know, I, I could barely walk home and I walked into my my place and my roommates, he, he says, uh, he says, so how's that jujitsu stuff you trained? And I said, I am never, ever going back there again. And I said a few <laughs> words that weren't overly played in that sentence. And uh, he's like, wow, you, wow, you look tired. And and then you know what second night, but well, I, well, I thought about it all night. I thought, how did that little kid? And I kept thinking about hoist Gracie. I was like, how did that little kid, a uh, 16 year old kid who was in high school beat me up so badly? I just could not get over it. So I went back the next night, even though I did not want to go back. I just wanted to wrestle that kid again. I didn't, I wish I wasn't interested in jujitsu. I was interested in understanding how that 16 year old kid beat me up. And, uh, and it was the same result i came back and then i that night told my roommate again i'm definitely never going back there <laughs> definitely not and because he just, kept beating just beat me up, up even more so because um, you're tired at this point so. yeah yeah i'm completely <laughs> tired you just they just wait for you to get tired and then it's over so now when you were getting beat up per se i guess
1: um Because you were saying in football that it was the techniques that were attractive to you. Were you, while getting beat up, were you trying to fight out of it and trying to beat him? Or were you like almost subconsciously letting yourself get beat up so that you could see the techniques that he was
2: using to do it to you? uh I definitely was not letting him do anything <laughs> so you were trying your best I so. was trying my best but I was just starting to think there's there's where's the where's the technique in this were you but you were like consciously watching for it right you were no, trying to figure out or no no I didn't have time the kid the kid would th- throw on an arm bar and uh I, I just had no idea w- how he was doing it I just like I was just defending and blo- wasting a lot of energy powering out of it, it was the exact same thing so Um, And then, you know, i go go ahead one more night. I I went home again and same, same, you know, process and thinking process. And I went back the third night and uh, I actually, you know, um, survived a little bit longer. And uh, the the technique that we learned that night helped a little bit. And um, I, um, I was hooked. I was like, wow, that kid only tapped me out 25 times tonight instead of the 45 times. So uh, that's how it
0: starts. That's how
2: it that's starts, and I saw big progress there. And uh, the technique that he showed was with, with was just really using the leverage for the smaller person, even though I was the bigger person. And uh, I, I had success with that one technique, a scissor sweep. Shelby would know exactly what yeah. I'm talking about, even though I, I had the wrong grip and. My hips were probably going the wrong way. But the scissor technique was
1: there. Yeah, my <laughs> hips were there.
2: You know, I have to remember this a 16 year old kid I was wrestling. He, you know, he hadn't been doing jiu jitsu much more than three or four months. Plus, there was a bunch of other guys in the class that were, uh, had started right around the same time as me, a week before. You know, a couple guys started that same night. So I had success against them, which wasn't really success. Shelby would be laughing if he was watching, there was a video of those, of those days. Oh,
0: I would love to look back on those, man.
2: That uh, was brilliant. Well, for, for our listeners that
0: don't know, I do describe it a little bit in our pilot episode. Um, sure. I'm active in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. I, I train, I teach and I train under Dave at Pacific Top Team here. And uh, yeah, it would be pretty interesting because Dave's a little bit of a monster on the mat. So seeing him in his early days would be actually quite gratifying for me. Yes. Uh, it's inter- interesting though, because that's actually how people tend to get hooked. It's that it's that struggle, and I think that has parallels with, with life because it's like, okay, I'm getting beat down over and over and over again, but somehow I'm attracted to it. Somehow this other guy knows what to do, and there's techniques to it. And I think that has parallels with life because it's like, you can't just go through life blindly. You have to have some type of direction or you have to have some type of technique to figure out what to do. And the thing with jiu-jitsu is that when you start, you're... You know, pretty much every single role, unless you're really competitive with somebody, is that you're either the, they say you're either the hammer or the nail. Yeah. Well, for the first few months, you are the nail every single time. You're going in there, you're getting beat up, uh, you're very sore at the end of every class. But there's something that hooks you. There's that there's there's beauty in that struggle that that really keeps you coming back because you see like okay, well if I put in my months and I put in my hours every single day and I just keep showing up then the new guys start to show up three months after you and you actually have someone to roll with so that's interesting actually
2: i became that 16 year old kid when after three months because the handful of new guys showed up and exactly what you said shelby it's like oh new guys i get to try this stuff
1: with people that don't know what they're doing they have no idea what they're doing
2: yeah Yeah, totally which can be hard to deal with as well because you know they don't have that flow that they learn after a long period of time so and the other thing i look back on it that made me think about it every night was the 16 year old kid was doing it without punching or kicking so i mean that's one thing that's you know people don't realize is jujitsu people talk about jujitsu and they're like oh you're doing that ufc stuff you know you're a you're an mma fighter i'm like no i'm not an mma fighter i practice jiu-jitsu brazilian jiu-jitsu and there's no punching or kicking there's no you know grabbing person's ear or punch you know stabbing poking them in the eye no, it's it's strictly uh you know basically it's just straight up jiu-jitsu so
0: it's like wrestling but with submission walks and yeah or joint locks and submission holds and stuff like that. So when did you start um, kind of competing? Like, when did you start? Because you you obviously got hooked. You kept training. Uh, How long did you stay with with Trevor?
2: I I was with Trevor for, uh, uh, well, the competing thing um, started, um, I think it was after about seven months. There was the first tournament in Vancouver at BCIT. And it was called... uh, where the same tournaments are run today. And, um, so I competed right, right away. It was about the seven or eight, seven or eight month mark. And they had those tournaments basically every two or two or three of those a year. And, um, and that's where I ended up getting the, the super Dave, um, you know, nickname, because I went into the first tournament and I had, I went in the open class, my division in the open class, I had 10 fights and I submitted everybody, even though if, Shelby, if you looked at the video, if there was video of those submissions, you—it's Brett Cooper would be very proud of the of the of the submissions. But either way, I, I submitted everybody, and um, so I the guy everybody started calling me Super Dave. So, and uh, and then I went into the next tournaments around the year mark, and I got a lot of the guys that started with me. There's about five guys that started all right around the same time. They are all smaller guys. Uh, like you know, one hundred forty pounds, hundred fifty pounds. Tim Shears would have been one of the bigger guys. You know right. Tim, yeah. and um, and then our black belt was from Brazil. He lived in Arizona. Um, Trevor would bring up our black belt every six months, and he would grade us and stuff. Right,
0: because as a because Trevor is probably still only a blue belt or purple belt.
2: Yeah, to Tre- Trevor had just gotten his purple belt, I guess, at about the year and mark. you can't
0: promote. As a purple
2: belt, yeah, you correct? can't promote. Yeah. Can we take
1: a moment just to like go over the belts and then like how long it maybe takes to go through them?
2: Yeah.
0: So it's essentially white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, and it takes approx. There's deviations, but it's approximately two years in between each one. So okay. to get a black belt is sort of it's about a ten to twelve year if you're training consistently. Yeah. If you take you know years off and because a lot most people, myself included, have taken a year off. Something like that, either with injuries or life happens, and then you come back. So, my journey has been probably eight years now, and I'm still only a purple belt. So, hopefully, in the next three to four years, I'll have my black belt. So, that'll be 12 years. So, it's not, uh, and nothing against karate or taekwondo or any sports like that. However, you know, those ones are a little bit not easier, but a shorter time period to get the black belt. Jiu jitsu is really a consistency game, and you gotta show up, you gotta put in the hours.
1: Who decides? Whether you go up in a belt, are you graded by somebody else, or? Uh,
2: well, I mean, you, it, there's still there there's still the old school mentality with jujitsu, and uh, um, you know where you got to win a world championship to get a belt, uh, especially the black belt. Um, you know, and I, I was definitely all I, I didn't mind that I didn't mind that way of looking at it for the first maybe five or six seven years of my jiu-jitsu, but. You know, I think that uh, I think everybody should get their belt. I think everybody goes at a different pace. I mean, we have guys at our club here in Vernon that's train twice a week, and we have guys that train five, six times a week. But I still think if that person, you know, um, does their two times a week, they should get their belt within a reasonable amount of time. You're right. Like we have a we have a guy that's never done any sports. He started doing jujitsu at 45. Ifcar. Yeah. And um, you know he he you know he took two years to get his blue belt, and um, he's never going to compete. So uh, It's is not an interest
0: to him. It's not an interest uses to him. It's for other things, right? Yeah, it's-,
2: it's boosted his confidence. It's boosted his confidence hu- hugely, and uh, you know, whereas 20, 20 years ago, they would, you know, these don't give belts to guys unless they're winning matches and tournaments. So I really like. I think everybody, you know. Do you have the power to give people belts? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so you. Totally.
1: So basically it's almost like you're, uh, what do you call it, like a sensei or what do you call I, it? In, in jiu-jitsu? jiu-jitsu,
2: they seem to call them professors. Okay. I, I prefer coach
1: or okay. just Dave. So your coach basically then uh, dictates whether you get the belt. Yeah. Is there He's like constantly a, watching over us, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Is there, so when, go, let's go back to your story then, in your specific situation, what was your- ability to move up was it from trevor or was it from that from from, his instructor for that instructor that was coming from arizona yes okay
2: yeah so he came up he came up that second tournament and uh and then all the guys including tim and um we all competed and i I ended up pulling off the same thing again i had a couple gold medals and won most i won all my fights but um not all by submission that time but but all the other guys that I started with, who were all like a lot smaller than me, they all got bronze medals and a silver medal. I think Tim got a silver medal that tournament, and uh, um, some, you know, our instructor, who uh, Wellington Diaz, uh, he um, at the end of the night. At the end of the night, we all go back to Trevor's house, and they um, they decide to do some promotions, and so they get, you know, Paul got a bronze medal, and you know. Paul, you know, good job today. You know, you got a bronze medal and we'll give you your blue belt. And then similar thing with Pat and Tim and silver medal. Good job. You know, and then another bronze medal. Good job. Blue belt. So it was like five. All the guys I started with all got their blue belts that that second tournament. And then they're going, oh, super Dave. Good job today. Two gold medals. But you're a big guy. Well, I'll give you one stripe on your white belt. Oh
1: man!
2: So, and you know what? I was wow. really happy with that. You know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't bother me. I, I you know, I, when I got that stripe on my belt, when I tied up my belt, my gi in my belt, and threw it over my shoulder, I made sure everybody could see my one stripe. Wow. And, and it took me another uh, two years before I got my blue belt, and all those other guys were getting purple belts. And uh, that was that technique thing, right? You know, yeah. but I was the bigger guy in the club, so I only won because I was big. They said, but. Everybody knows that wasn't true. So they all no. cut up telling me Super Dave. So You start to get
0: weeded out that way because you'll fight guys that are also the same size as you. Yeah, you'll fight guys that are 50 pounds lighter. Yeah. But you're also going to run into guys in tournaments who are the same. And if you yeah. can't use your technique, obviously that strength means absolutely nothing. So
2: Exactly. All the guys that I wrestled in those tournaments, first tournaments, were all my size. So,
1: Do you find that it was kind of like political with who was getting chosen to get the belts? Like oh. leaving that leaving that kind of decision to somebody else? Like yeah. I mean, shouldn't it almost be like pink slips in car racing or something like that? Like, for example, if if you're a purple belt and you fight somebody who's a black belt and you can beat them, then now you get your black belt. It's like I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my kind I, of point of I view. I think
2: there's politics there for sure, you know. Um, but but uh, but I mean, uh, it didn't bother me. I I was there to, you know. I was there just to. I I wanted to be a world champion, and I knew, you know, playing sports. To be good at playing any sport Uh, you know you go back to football it's about hard work and I didn't want I didn't want a blue belt and go and fight the blue belts my size until I felt I was ready so I was totally fine with that uh, you know even though I got called a sandbagger for the next two years (laughs) but you know it wasn't my decision the guy that gave me the um, eventually he gave me my blue belt Um, you know he was a world competitor so I wasn't going to question that fair enough gotcha. yeah
0: so you started now like we'll skip ahead a little bit So now you're you're getting your brown belt your black belt and you've, you've competed before in some very major tournaments so like tell us a little bit about that experience and, and maybe your lessons from those tournaments
2: so um so like talking about my uh if I skip ahead up to, to black belt um yeah I I well, if I go back to Purple Belt, I competed at the PANS of Jiu-Jitsu, at Purple Belt and a Brown Belt. And uh, I got some, you know, I, I did very well and, and uh, got some bronze medals, a couple of gold medals in there. Um, but really the um, the two best medals I have uh, would be when I competed as as a black belt to start at the Europeans in 2009. I won my division, uh, which was an ace was a nice medal for sure but when i went in the open class um in the semifinal, i wrestled a world champion named for fabio gergel who who was a world champion in 96 and 97 the year i started jiu-jitsu so he was in that so he would have been in his prime then back you know his early 20s or mid-20s i guess same age as me but he was a black belt so i i wrestled him in the uh in the semifinal and um, lost to him, but for me that that was that bronze medal is one of my biggest accomplishments in jiu-jitsu because I wrestled a world champion and pushed him right to the last. He caught me, he caught me with about thirty seconds left in the match, and uh, so for me that was you know very similar to another medal in 2011 uh, at the American Nationals. I had finished um, uh, a bronze in my division in my weight class and then I went in the open class and I fought Sab uh, Salo Ribeiro who was a world champion at the same time Fabio Gregor was and he um that was in the semifinal and uh the big thing about that was was uh what wasn't even the bronze medal is a simple fact that I lasted the longest that day against a world champion who you know like I wrestled a 16 year old kid uh, my first day in jiu-jitsu when I was a white belt in 96. He, both of these gentlemen were black belt world champions uh, in 96. At that very same time, they were coming up pretty much in
0: their
2: prime. Yeah, they were the best in the world. And here I am now in the master class, pushing them right to the end of the match. Um, So uh, those are my two biggest accomplishments. Um, You know, if we go, most people who don't know the history don't know who those guys are, people are going to think my biggest accomplishment it would have been this last August, where I competed at the World Masters, and uh, and won gold, so, you know, and, and I'm one of only a handful of Canadians to ever win the Masters at Black Belt, and uh, so most people would think that's the biggest accomplishment, but that's I still go back to my two bronze medals, and um,
0: fighting those guys, and those guys, yeah. for those that don't know, they are hugely respected in jiu-jitsu circles. They hold, uh, they have very large teams of affiliation underneath them. With uh, I believe Fabio Vigella is probably thousands of fighters under that alliance banner. Like it's insane. Yes. Uh, so I can see why that would be that would be a good accomplishment for you. Like you, you're not so concerned with the gold or the silver or the bronze or even placing. It's it's how you measured up.
2: Yes, yes. When I look back. When I look back. I want, to, I'll, like I said, when those medals are finally put in an nice frame on my wall, instead of uh, in my basement. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, for me, uh, yeah, I'll be able to tell those the stories to my daughter or whoever sees those medals, and uh, the, yeah, that's the importance to me was making myself the best I could and fight the best best out there. So,
1: now are these guys Brazilians? Yes, both of them. So I don't know. I'd, in my opinion, that's kind of like cheating. You're, you're coming from the the land that the the martial art came <laughs> from. So that's that's a pretty big achievement in in itself that you were able to last against the, uh, the the natives of the martial art itself, right?
2: Yeah, it's like a Brazilian <laughs> hockey team coming up here and playing uh, Canadian, playing a couple of rounds with uh, the yeah. local. That's exactly the local like. guys. Yeah. So
1: how how long was it till you fought these guys since 1996 when you first fought the 16-year-old?
2: So when I, yeah when '96 um, and then Fabio Griguel would have been 2009. So I 2009. was two years into my black belt at that point, or two and a half years. And so about 13 years later. Yeah, 13 okay. years later, and then uh, and then 2011 against Salo Ribeiro. So uh, yeah, another uh, you know it's 15 years later, 16 years later. That's
1: phenomenal. I just want to point out how like cool I find it that we've got in a small town like Vernon, we've yeah. got world champion uh black belt who has his own jujitsu studio that's phenomenal i mean i think that's really cool to have even to be in in your presence right now well it's unbelievable
2: yeah it's it's i'm definitely still trying to take that in but you know uh when i go back to those guys that interviewed me about uh those guys that interviewed interviewed me about you know, what my goal was in the, to win a world championship. And they kind of laughed because the whole Canada thing, you know, go up and play hockey and how are you going to do it there? But really I did it with, you know, teammates like Shelby, who I get to train with. You know, Shelby t- teaches the day classes, but he does come into the night classes. But it was the rounds with my teammates in Vernon that got me that championship. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, what, what more can I say other than, thanking you know I thanked everybody like I said I didn't wrestle black belts every day um I hardly wrestled any black belts in the last six months or since I moved up here it's been a lot less than when I was on the coast so yeah it can be done just you just got to do it right
0: well and that's the interesting part is that it's kind of like it it gave you an opportunity you were you were um I don't want to say lucky but it was it was opportunistic that there's no Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Canada, or, or hardly any, especially in our corner of BC. You were part of this huge explosion because now how many people fight here? It's insane. We have we have almost weekly tournaments in Vancouver now, and that's yep. there's something to be said for that. You did not grow up in that in that kind of a climate. I I did. Um, I've come in, and obviously the UFC is a huge global multi-billion-dollar global brand, but that was an opportunity for you. I mean, and that's, that's what it is. It's not so much, it's not so much that like, Brazilians innately have the capacity to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu better, is that they've had so much more practice and it's like generational practice. Absolutely. So for us, the basics are all there. We just, it's almost like there's a fire under us that we have to compete with all these people.
1: Something to prove. Yeah, and when we go down to
0: California, those types of tournaments, those guys in California, they have tournaments big tournaments every single weekend. Ours are more big tournaments every month or two. There are tournaments more frequently than that, but those guys train all the time because of the population density. So I think us from Canada we have a little more of that, that grid and, and work ethic to try and to try and make it big and so like how did you from a business perspective, how did you get into teaching and, and owning owning a piece of the pie?
2: Well, I mean if I, if, I go back, if I go back early on, um, you know, the goal was is I wanted to be the best jiu-jitsu. I want to be a world champion. I, I want to win, win a, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, then I started teaching a few years later. And, uh, you know, I, I feel that, uh, you know, um, jiu-jitsu winning the world championship became something I never even thought about. Um, I did go to competitions and stuff, but they were – most of the time, you know, my, my mentality to go down there and compete at the pans, whether I was at purple belt or brown belt or black belts, the Europeans was just, oh, it's just, it's just a couple of matches. I was, ne- I never got overly nervous. I just, there's just a couple of matches that are going to last a couple of minutes, but it's the jujitsu every day at home, at the home club in Vancouver. And then when I moved up here, that's where I'm enjoying my jujitsu the most. And, uh, and uh, so the focus became teaching and um, you know I really feel it you know it's a you know my biggest accomplishment thinking about it was giving back to the community that way you know boosting kids confidence adults confidence you know women's confidence adults in general um, just felt like making people better um, whether, you know, it's the 10-year-old kids that you're boosting their confidence. If you boost their confidence and they can just get through, not trying to make them a world champion, but just make it so they can get through school better. And the better they get through school, the better they're going to be for our community and the job they take or, uh, you know, from there. So that's really what I... And my my focus has been for quite a long time. You know, I first started teaching, I didn't get that, but when you get feedback from, you know, parents and how... Their kids grades have gone up and um, you know uh, we have one we have one uh, a principal a, a local here in town his two boys do jiu-jitsu he you know obviously he gets to deal with a variety of different kids in his school all the time and he's recommended many parents bring their kids and I just get nothing but we get nothing but great feedback on how the kids are improving you know um, just because of what confidence we're um, uh, giving them so yes, yeah that's excellent yeah that's
0: excellent so you started out what brought you initially from the coast to the valley here
2: yeah uh, well I always you know uh, growing up on the coast and seeing the city you know I lived kind of as, as a young adult I lived all around uh, the lower mainland and seeing the city grow and just becoming so uh, you know crowded I'd always wanted to live uh, in the interior, you know, uh, near the lakes and the mountains. But um, but as the uh, yeah, I just knew that uh, eventually I would move up to the interior somehow. And uh, the jujitsu, um, yeah, and then opening up a jiu-jitsu school up here was just a no-brainer, you know.
0: And then that eventually you had a business venture before yep. and then you've now moved on to Pacific Top Team.
2: Yep. So did
0: you start Pacific Top Team? Was that sort of your baby or how did that begin? Uh, because it's it's there's a lot of organizations yep. um, such as ours, but ours is really one of the bigger ones in BC yep. that has so many clubs in it. So how yep. did that start and how did you become a part
2: of it? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Pacific Top Team is actually one of the biggest non-Brazilian team affiliated teams in the world we don't we're not affiliated directly under uh, one of the big teams like Alliance and Gracie Baja so we were all uh, there's about seven or eight instructors who own Pacific top team schools around the province and um, and then there's one in Corona California and uh, um, basically we're all part of another team at one point and uh, we all decided to, um, these guys are all, these are all the guys I started with too, for right. the most part, or started three or four or year, five years after me, but they were always, they were my good friends. So when we left the other team, um, uh, all, uh, basically two, two of the schools left the team. And then when we basically announced to those other schools that we were leaving, they all said, well, we're going to come with you. And then we talked about what we could do and should we find a new affiliation. And we just decided that we didn't want that. So we created Pacific Top Team. So basically we have about, I think it's nine guys who are legacy members of Pacific Top Team. So, uh, you know, um, the teams can still run their schools the way they want, but uh, we're not competition-based. We're just, um, you know... Everybody likes, you know. Everybody likes to just, uh, you know, that simple message of jujitsu for everybody. The lifestyle. The lifestyle, right? You know, guys on the coast. Some of the a couple guys. One guy's a police officer. One one's a real a real estate agent. Um, you know, uh, one's a chief of a First Nation. Um, so you know, we have good competitive schools, but you know, the you know these guys. You know, can't be big competitors with the jobs they do. Um, there are a couple of schools that have full-time instructors like myself, but um, you know, I'm still I'm now in my mid 40s, so competition's not really my big thing anymore. Even though I'd still like to do that, but I still like to focus um, on not competition jujitsu, but just good, simple, fundamental jiu-jitsu for everybody. And um, you know, you were saying about. Basically, we kept our friends together. So, and, um, yeah, and, um, you know, we've had people call us, you know, um, I'm one of the senior belts on the team. So we've had uh, probably, probably had a dozen schools from around North America call us and see what we're doing right. and want to be part of Pacific Top Team. And, um, you know, for the most part, we've had to say no. Um, you know, they're like, oh, what do we pay? You know, let's pay a big fee. Well, we don't know you. Right. So you can't be part of Pacific Top Team and people are like, well, that's kind of dumb. Like you're not growing. But you're not
0: interested in like this mass business venture. It's a little bit deeper than
2: that. It's a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, we want, you know, J.P. Garcia, who owns Pacific Top Team Corona in California. He is um, a guy that was part of that big team and we knew him very well. And when we left, we knew him very well, but we still didn't start with him but he was such a good guy such a good instructor coming up here all the time on his own dime to teach our students and hang out with us so he was a kind of a no-brainer to bring on board and, and give a legacy to a legacy membership to um but you know we got a couple of the teams that have one recently from ontario called me um and he's currently under a large gracie team out of brazil and he asked what he's got to do to come over to Pacific Top Team, and I said... And he's a good guy. I've seen him at many tournaments. And he's a retired... He's a veteran. He's retired, uh, you know, 25 years in in the military. And I said, if honestly, if you want to be part of Pacific Top Team, then you got to make your way out here and visit, start visiting the schools and become friends with everybody. And then we can... We, we can chat. Then we can chat. But until everybody knows you, I mean, yeah, you and I are know each other well, but just because it's me doesn't mean anything. So those nine guys who are the original members of Pacific Top Team, they all have an equal vote. So we don't have a – we have senior belts, but we don't have um, a, a somebody who we – has the, uh, the, the the end say, you know, like some of the other teams. Their word is, you know, is uh, the final word. So someone
1: – so walk me through the whole process. I'm very curious all the different components, because there's obviously there's a business component, there's a competition component, mm-hmm. there's the sport component, and now that I'm hearing almost like a, f- a family kind of component to the whole uh, the whole practice of jujitsu. So let's say I myself, biggest wimp on earth, never done any fighting or martial arts or anything in my life. Um, very good at diving and soccer, pretending that I'm injured. What? How would I start? how would I start if I wanted to get into jujitsu? Where are the components? Are there different gyms that I would go to? Um, Are there bigger ones that have brand associated? And why would one be better
2: than another one to start? Yeah. Well, I I mean, uh, you're talking about where would you start with with our schools or would you start at any school? Is that where you're...
1: Honestly, just like any school, where would I start into jujitsu? Because I'm hearing there's big brands associated with the Brazilians. Yeah. Yeah. Why are those that big of a brand? Is it because those guys have been successful in Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. Jiu-Jitsu and they've built a following that yeah. are using their brand to teach other kids? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, uh, how would you start? I mean, yeah, I mean, some of those teams were, you know, like the Alliance team, they're one of the most successful um, com- competition teams in the world, but, you know... Uh, they've got hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand schools around the world. So... And how long have they been around for? Yeah, I mean, some of those schools have been around for 20 years, 30 years, yeah. going back to Brazil. And some of those schools, uh, you know, you you know, maybe not the Alliance team specifically, but, you know, you can call up one of these big schools and become part of their affiliation with a franchise fee. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you don't know who they are, right? So... Um,
1: so it's less of a family component in that yeah, in that it's a,
2: business. it's a business i mean they have okay. a lot of those big teams they have a great family the great family feel and stuff but they've got gotten too big where like you said you can't monitor your your uh, franchises you know
1: that's 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 a really interesting point because then that puts it into the business perspective of starting to compare it to just other franchises in general i mean yeah. you have the franchises uh like we were talking about in, in another podcast with Jaron, where they basically they're very strict with who they bring on as franchise yeah. owners yeah they're very strict they, and that sounds like what pacific top team does yeah, you well, guys are very yeah. strict with who you bring on. we are
2: i mean there's nothing wrong with franchising out um many different businesses like you take a subway for example you know obviously you got to do your back background check on the franchise the possible franchise owner you know if he passes those background checks and make you know blah 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 you can get a franchise but you know there's not that s- same responsibility with your customers as there is having you know kids on your mats and being trusted to kids and adults on your mats every day you know subway you go in you're separated from you know for the most part you're separated from you know the from the employees that make your sandwich and out you go so you know you don't have that you can somebody if i owned if i own subway and anybody called up and as long as they pass or whatever you can have a franchise but for me if you're teaching kids and you know in the scenario where you're left alone you know you get you, we want people that we know are going to be professional and um, You know, you know, we the net, the nine guys in Pacific top team. We've known them. We've known each other for a long time and uh, So yeah, we won't we won't bring in if you want to be part of Pacific top team You've got to get to know everybody. We're just not giving you you can't use the name So
1: so it's a it's it's more of a strict selection process when bringing people on or, or starting to expand because you realize the importance of brand and how it's yeah. associated with Anytime you walk into any of the doors of Pacific Top Team, you need to feel that positive same feel yeah. of of family of connection.
2: It's 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 not that I'd even call it a strict. It's just that we don't we don't we're just not looking to expand. Everybody gets to run their business. I can open up another Pacific Top Team anywhere I want, anytime I want. Um, you know, and uh, but but we're not looking to expand. It's not going to benefit us a, a, the way that. Um, that we wanted to. I mean, some of these other big teams, you get, you know, horrible stories in a variety of sports, um, you know, not just martial arts, of people having bad instructors. We're just, you know, this is not going to happen with us. So it's not that we're being strict. We're just, it's just common sense. It's responsibility with this type of business that, you know, um, we just don't give out franchises, not for any amount of money. Right,
0: And that's come from experience too, you've, you've been involved with a bigger team in the past and you know sometimes obviously you're going to hear about things like that happening, yeah. these big teams and maybe an instructor not having the greatest of, you know, they haven't done the best due diligence process and, and having to deal with the fallout from those types of things can actually really hurt your reputation. So you're, you're more interested in preserving your reputation than you are yeah. with rapid expansion, correct? Yes, exactly.
1: Exactly. And th- that's, that's a huge and major component. So now let's go back because I'm still curious from your, your teaching perspective. Now let's go back to Wimpy Dave. He's walked into Pacific Top Team. He's just joined. And um, what do I have to do now to start to compete? Is it just like my coach, my professor will think that I'm ready and then you sign up to these uh To these tournaments or and are these tournaments open to anybody or do you have to be a part of a a club or a team to join these
2: yeah well I mean when you first start the first thing you're gonna do uh, is do an intro an intro class and just kind of show you the basics you're not gonna jump in and start wrestling hard right away not like when you started yeah no you're not you're not even gonna (laughs) for the most part you're not even going to wrestle for the first couple of weeks unless you're in in a smaller class Uh, In an environment that the instructor can watch over you and wrestle with you um, himself, you know Um, So uh, yeah, I mean We want to bring people along slowly because you get all types of people that are walking in there They're wondering what they're, you know, it's hard enough to walk through the door hard enough to walk through the door, but um, You know, you know, this is jujitsu and wrestling and they're like, I don't know, you know, it's hard to get them to stay so an intro class is very important so we're not even thinking competition when you when you first start so if you you know that's something that uh for me i i i I don't think competition a lot of instructors want you to compete to get your next belt i don't think that's a big part a big part of it i don't think it should be a part of it if if the person doesn't want to because a lot of people have to you know whether they work in an office during the day or they work on a truck driving a truck, they have to, um, you know, maintain, you know, put, get their jujitsu to a level that that's, they, they have to, um, where was my train of thought on that?
1: They have to get it to a point where they're comfortable with where they wanted it to go. Not everybody wants to compete. right?
2: People. Yeah. Yeah. People, they still have to do their regular thing. Eight hours a day. They have their kids, they have their wife, they have their parents fitting a competition in there oh wow well, i'd really like to get a black belt in jujitsu but i have four kids i have family vacations i have to go to my parents every two weeks and this guy's telling me that i need to compete before i get my blue belt you know i've been doing jujitsu for two years and i'm not going to get my blue belt oh i don't have time to compete yeah well, i want to get better and progress but that's you know i you know people don't want to not everybody wants to do that so you know um I always leave it. Most of the instructors, you know, f- well, like I said in Pacific Top Team, most of us will say, "Hey, it's competing's good," and um, we won't put any pressure on you to do it. If you want to do it, bonus. Yeah, lots
0: of people in Pacific Top Team do compete. Yeah, there's plenty of people at the local tournaments that will do it. But that's that's a component of martial arts, not just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but everyone does martial arts for different reasons. Yes, and it's the lessons that you pull from it that the real silver linings lie. So. For you, what what kind of distinguishes someone that wants to compete over someone who doesn't and are there advantages there? If Even if someone's just wanting to challenge themselves, like are there ever situations where you're like, I think this might be good for this person, so I, I might run it by them to see if they do want to compete? Or do you just let them come to you and, and have that happen?
2: Again? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, I think certain people you see, they they jump in there and uh, you, you're like, oh, I don't think this person's ever to compete but you just you don't know you know they get in there and they do two or three classes and they're just they get the bug and they're and they're wrestling hard every day and they, you know whereas when they first walked in they're like uh i thought this was like karate i didn't know you guys are wrestling you know they're watching everybody rolling and they're like i don't know man like you know and next thing you know and you know next thing you know three or four months later they're talking about competing so if you just provide that environment and make it easy for them to get in there have partners training partners that make it easy for them and they don't feel like they're being fed to the wolves when they get into an advanced class and there's lots of there's a 35 40 minutes of wrestling in a class you know make it easy on make you know like oh i'm gonna wrestle this black belt or brown belt or purple belt oh man i'm gonna get totally beaten up and then they start wrestling them and the next thing you know they're not getting beaten up they're they're you know, having a nice little ro- flow roll and the, the purple belt's playing with them, you know. So that boosts, that that makes it makes it easy for people. Next thing you know, those people who would never would have considered competing are now competing and asking about it. So, yeah. So, and I'll bring it up too. Um, especially when you see somebody, you know, you never thought would compete and then six months in they're rolling all the time and then you bring it up with them and like, oh, you think I should? I was like, yeah, why not, you know why not go go wrestle against somebody in a tournament that you've you have no idea what they're going to do
0: it's a challenging environment it's a challenging it really environment. is yeah yeah so you and you'll coach people towards that and you've mentioned to me like previously that you have really taken to the instruction aspect of everything teaching has become a passion for you. Yeah. So this is not just about jiu-jitsu and passing on jiu-jitsu but teaching in general. So yeah. how did that when did that really start? When did that bug come into your head where it's like okay, I'm not just in this because I love jiu-jitsu, I really love to teach people and pass on. Knowledge.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um yeah, I guess I guess one of the big big ones was uh you know, I I I've kind of realized that for a long time, 10 years ish, but one of the big ones was as I was teaching in Chilliwack 12 years ago ish. And one of the kids, uh, one of the kids who was about six or seven at the time, he uh, he's now a purple belt, 18, 19-year-old purple, purple belt, uh, Hardy's young son, Brandon Chappelle. Uh, Brandon Chappelle. Yeah. And he now is one of the best purple belts in the province. And he's just, you know, for me, I was just, just looking back and going, man, that kid started with me. I gave him his first couple of belts and now he's... You know I don't want to wrestle him so
0: I think he fought my brother actually I think he's yeah kale at one of the local tournaments here so I, I saw him he's a monster he's a monster
2: he's a monster and then you know and then the, to, to see that you know uh you know he uh, to see now that he's doing so well in his community I mean his dad is the chief uh, chief of one of the first Nations down there and um you know he's out Uh, He's doing uh, rowing and canoeing in the community, and he's winning national championships, finished second, even when he was 16 and 17. And uh, he runs that club for his dad. And, uh, you know, um, whereas, you know, even with as good a dad he has in in his dad, Hardy, you know, he could have went down that different, the wrong path in school. And this has just kept him, helped keep him on that straight and narrow. And now he's a great kid who I don't want to wrestle. Ever again. Ever, <laughs> yeah. How
1: much, how much do you think that uh, because you were one of the first, or if not the first that introduced him to ju- jiu-jitsu, um, how much of those teachings do you think in the beginning were actually building the foundation and building the building blocks of who he is today? Like, you must feel some sort of gratification to the fact that you were the first.
2: I can simply say that uh, it's he's at Pacific Top Team Jilliwack. So Harley... Who I, you know I gave was lucky enough to give his dad his black belt about three and a half four years ago now um, when I left there Harley continued doing exactly what I was doing so yeah I was a early part of it but his his dad Harley is got the message and is continuing that same message so you know you can get the wrong message if you go to wrong places so um, yeah I um, how m-
1: now one thing I've always been curious about with jujitsu martial arts and everything, because you hear a lot in sports, uh, for example, like it's not badminton, but it's close. It's tennis. <laughs> Rafa yeah. Rafa Nadal talks about in his autobiography how much of the game is actually mental. He says if you're watching anybody in the top 100 ranked tennis players training, just mm. practicing, hitting a ball, serving, whatever it is, you can't tell them apart. Yep. What sets them apart in the top 10, the higher levels, is their mindset. when they're playing how much they're able to you know use the nervousness use the pressure to empower them or you know when they're down break point whatever it is so i guess my question is how much of jujitsu is technique and body as opposed to how much of it is mindset when you're competing
2: well i mean um it's mindset's huge i mean i um i'll use myself as an example which i don't usually like to but you know Going up to the the Masters World Championships in August, um, you know, this, I, this past August, this past August um, I uh, I don't really I did I don't announce stuff like this like you know pe- people will announce injuries and blah 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 but I didn't I didn't train at all for the month before the worlds, and um, was that a strategy or no I, I, I injured my to... shoulder okay. and uh, you know I probably could I probably could have trained a little bit but my shoulder was really bad and m- most important thing for me was to continue keep the club going and keep teaching my couldn't train so um you know so for me it was like do i make excuses and um uh, you know pull out of the worlds or do i just go down there and just set a good example of what i tell everybody every day doesn't matter if you win or lose um, you just need to uh, if you want to compete Just go and have fun with it and don't worry about it. I'm not going to judge you for it and nobody else is, you know. Um, Not everybody in that competing forum is watching you. There's 2,000 people at the Worlds in the stands, but they're not all watching the one person. They're all there to watch their friends and their buddies. There's 20 matches going on. When you step on the mats, they're not all watching you. Just your six or seven or ten teammates that are there are watching you. So... I just wanted to make sure that I set that example. My teammates in Vernon knew I was injured. And that's what's most important to me. I didn't care what anybody on the coast thought if I went down there and lost in the first 30 seconds. I just cared what my school, my teammates thought. And, um, and uh, you know, mentally, um, it was easy for me. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go down there and do exactly the jujitsu that I teach every day. And, um, you know, just... Uh, and um, have fun with it interesting so
1: even though you weren't per se technically ready because of the injury because of not training a lot leading up to it your peace of mind and mental state of look i'm just going to set a good example i'm going there for myself i'm going there for my team you know i'm I'm going there to enjoy myself that peace of mind allowed you to pull pull through and actually finish better
2: And, and and on top of that i you know it was it was for me too I mean, for me, I don't want to, what am I going to do? I'm. It's, it's master class. You know, it's an age class. It's my age class. What am I going to do? Not look back and wish I would have competed at the Worlds. You know, many people compete with injuries and stuff. And I was just like, uh, what if I don't have an opportunity again? I want to be able at least I say I stepped onto those mats for myself. And Because uh, when I step on the mats, I'm not thinking about anybody else other than myself. And uh, so, yeah, I needed to do it for myself. It, tur- it happened to turn out really well for me.
1: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a really great point. I mean, one of my, that that aspect of having, doing things for yourself uh, because it makes you happy because you don't want to ha- have that regret. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about how when he watches Rocky, uh, the movie where Drago loses, Rocky wins at the end. Drago in Russian says, I did this for me. I did this for me, yeah. not for anybody else. Yeah. Right, And that's that's a huge thing. He lost, yet he still was claiming, you know, I, I did it for myself. This yeah. is this is for me. I have no regrets. I left it all out there.
2: Yeah, yeah and you, you get a lot, You get a big example. Of that, you know, people in the community are always worried about what everybody else thinks. It's like I always tell everybody. So, uh, you know, one of the students uh, is just coming back from an injury, and he's been training now for a month or two or whatever, and he's like, oh, man, I want to go compete next month. But I'm just not in very good shape. I go, are you healthy? Yeah. Do you have any injuries? Yeah well just go compete don't, yeah, don't go worry about fun. it don't well, worry about it lose, no one I'm no not one's perfect when you yeah. start competing
0: there's always little injuries you yeah. something something's not right in yeah. your life Just too, the yeah. mental game's off and it's like sometimes it's something in your life like your girlfriend breaks up with you the day before the tournament you should still go everyone's got something
2: yeah yeah totally just go and don't worry about it and have fun and no one's no one's gonna think anything if you lose and uh yeah so maybe he'll compete maybe he won't but you know, you got to set that example from the top, right? So. Exactly.
1: That's phenomenal. I love the I love the mindset that actually goes into it. I mean, Shelby and I were just talking before uh, before you came into the studio today. It's just how much of the mind we don't actually know. <laughs> it's yeah. unbelievable. We yeah. barely use any of it, yet it's such an important, powerful tool yeah. that if we could learn to tap more into it, and I think we are as, as we're evolving as a society, we're learning to tap more into it, but it's, it's just so in-depth how much there is about the mind.
2: Yeah.
0: I want right, to great. delve a little bit into the individual aspect because this is a reason, largely a reason why I got into martial arts because yeah, I played a lot of team sports growing up as well. I was in hockey. I played soccer. Uh, I really gravitated towards jujitsu because of, well, not just jujitsu. I, I really started in, in, in mixed martial arts, but it was that accountability to yourself Yeah. because if I screw up, it's only my fault. Yeah. I can't go out there and be like, okay, I lost. It was this person's fault because you know, in hockey, you can be like, the last if you're on defense, they're coming down, they'll deke around you, and then they'll shoot on the goalie and they'll score, and then you still have that thing in the back of that's like, oh, it's the goalie's fault. Yeah. <laughs> but when you lose in a in some type of sport, uh, whether it be tennis or badminton or jujitsu or mixed martial arts, whatever it happens to be, it's only your fault. Yeah. So is that is that sort of where where you went like you it's like you needed something to challenge your ego yeah. right from the beginning yeah uh
2: yeah yeah that's that's a good that's a good question um yeah that's a good one <laughs> um yeah i mean losing in, in in individual sport and losing in a team sport i mean when you lose in the team sport yes you can blame it on the other guy the problem is is you can't correct that other guy you can't work on his problems is what he needs to work on when he goes home right you lose your jiu-jitsu match you can go home and think about it and correct it before you even step onto the mats again so yeah i mean to expand on that um yeah um i think having a good team environment um away from competition is important like I said, um, you know, I, I won the Worlds based on what you as one of my teammates and all my teammates in Vernon did. And, of course, people from the other PTT schools pop in all the time. I go to a lot of the other schools when I'm on the coast all the time. So that team aspect is great for support, you know, and, and having a team that has no ego. You know, I think if you step onto our Vernon mats. Um, the reason why we have a don't have a lot of ego on our mats is because of the example set from above not just myself but you as a senior belt in the club always have to set an example and uh, the whole tapping out thing um you know I tap out more now than I did when I first started and uh so you know you get the new guy in the club he's been training with us for a couple of months I go and wrestle him you know I play around and next thing you know he's makes me tap out from a choke, so it boosts his confidence maybe sometimes too much because they'll walk away they'll be like hey uh talking to the other group of new guys i tapped out super dave (laughs) and they're all like well i don't know if you really tapped him out but that's pretty cool cool you get used to it um so you know i always try to set that example and, and show new students when they're watching and they're like hey you know look at that belt or that blue belt tapping out super dave you know and uh why is that and they'll ask and they'll like well because dave needs to make himself better and if he just comes in every day and treats the club like it's an olympic training venue then he's never going to get any better so uh so you
0: purposely I, tap some t- not purposely but you'll let someone of a lower caliber put you into a position where you have to tap to, to really train your own ego to, to, to Absolute, lose. Absolutely. You want to lose to make sure that you can win later.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I, I can, I, I'm not going to say I've never had ego and I'm not even going to say I don't have ego now, but every day that I do jujitsu, I have less ego. And, and, uh, you know, I think one thing that can help you realize that is, as, as you get older, you know, cause, because I don't want to be that guy that's, um, that's when he turns 50, or when my knee finally really does kind of give out, stops training. I want to use that technique and leverage when my knee is down to 10% and still continue to wrestle the young guys like Shelby. And and I know that that respect will be there because they just know. They've been around long enough. They know what I was like when I was younger. They know what I was like when I won the Worlds. But, you know, Shelby, how old are you? You're... 25. 25. So, I mean, it's just a matter of time before Shelby is tapping me out uh, when we're wrestling all the time. But I know that there will be a certain amount of respect every time someone goes, Hey, you're kicking Dave's butt all the time. eh?" And I know Shelby's wording me like, whoa, you know, yeah, I, I get Dave now. But Dave's 50. Whatever. Maybe, I, right, maybe, maybe we're talking point. about when I'm...
0: I, I, I think you'll be at least 60 before well, this starts to happen. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope... I always say, you know, like Wes and you guys, oh, yeah, you guys will be tapping me out when I'm 40. Well, I'm a little past 40 now. I'm still trying to hold you guys off. So I hope that it'll be 55. Yeah. But, but the point is, is I know there'll be a huge amount of respect for when that happens on a regular basis, you know. So um, that's the environment that you need to be in to be a world champion. And, um, you know, like I said, I know guys that started with me that, you know, are good friends. A lot of them are still good friends that still, you know, don't quite do that, you know. And some of them are 10 years younger than me, and, I, and they're black belts. And I can still have that upper hand because I train smarter and don't have that ego. And my defense is better because of it, for one, so. Your defense does become better. Your, de- your defense does become better, so.
1: I, I almost see it as like you need to, you need to break down and figure out what kind of person you're. and it's almost like when you have employees in a business, you need to figure out what is important to each one of them. But even with your students, like you need to break down who uh, who maybe needs that win or who's interested in competing because I don't know personally when it comes to competition, like I got it a lot from my, uh, from my dad and my, my grandparents as well. but like for example, in my life, I've never beat my dad at tennis my dad's main game is tennis and I've never beat my dad at tennis I don't know when I'll beat him at tennis but he is now just turned 50 and like I said I will (laughs) I don't know when it'll happen but I'm 20 now he's 50 I've been trying my whole life and I still haven't been able to beat him so do you think like I think that's like pushing me to try harder and so that when I actually beat him I'll know that it's for real Do you feel that with some of your students when you play around with them and then tap out?
2: I mean, I I think that's – I mean, well, you do play some sports. That's awesome. Tennis. Tennis is a good, hard sport. Um, It's not easy. But, you know, yeah, you're going to beat your dad eventually. But, you know, that's my point, though. You know, is it really beating him? Because – Age is finally caught up that's with true. him. You that's true. That's true. And that's, that's kinda, always I've always thought that's about That's kind of my actually. point. I mean, I think when you finally beat your dad, I think you're gonna go, Yeah, I beat him, but he's seventy three now or whatever. Yeah. You know, I don't know how old your dad is, but you know, is it really beating him? Um yeah, technically it is, but you know There's always that mutual respect. There's that respect there. I mean, you know, there's a in pro sports, there's the peak ages and then there's the ages you start you know there's not the that's the pro- true pro- why do you, why do professional any like hockey players football players most of them retired by 35 the ones that play a lifetime of sports you know so you know it, it is 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 a uh is joe montana one of the greatest quarterbacks in the nfl history you know goes out and practices with the uh, the patriots or the eagles today and throws five interceptions in in a practice or a scrimmage Nobody's going to be saying none of those defensive backs or linebackers are going to be bragging about getting an interception in a scrimmage with Joe Montana because he's 57 years old, you know? So just a huge respect that that guy can even throw the ball still is, is huge. And that's the respect that I think that Shelby wants when he is teaching at his own school or, and continue to teach in my school for now, the um, respect he wants when he's 50 years old. He doesn't want that, he doesn't want that um, You, know, you know, bad vibe. That's what creates a split. And I think that's the thing about Pacific Top Team and why the group of us have stayed together is because I can go down there and wrestle with the other guys. And um, if I get tapped out, there's, just, there's not even a thought about it. You know? It's if not I, like,
0: ooh, I'm better than, than Super y- Dave now. Yeah. It's like, no, you, they'll never forget. What you've done to them or what the accomplishments that you've done. No one can take that away from you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Legacy will live on. Yeah, totally. I I can go down there and I can work on my new defensive moves that I'm working on with the black belts down there, my friends. And if they catch me, make me tap out, no one thinks anything. You know, I'm like, oh, good, good, good move. Thanks. Good move. That's good. But no one talks about it. No one goes back and there's no, none of that. You know, that's what's so good about Pacific Top Team. So,
1: no, I definitely see what you mean there. Cause it's like, I, I've always actually, when you spoke it out loud, I actually thought about, it. I was like, you know what? That is something that I think about. It's like, when I finally beat my dad at tennis, is there going to be there? Is, not, is there, there will be that thing in the back of my mind. Did I really beat him or did he just get a little bit too old where he was now slower than, yeah. and he, than he was. Cause the, the reality is he's getting older. I'm getting stronger. And that's that's where it comes from. And I think that's that's a really good point about your, your uh your team, your your place at Pacific top team where there's always that respect for what you've accomplished, what mm-hmm. you've done, and now you you kinda take a I mean I don't mean this in the in a bad way, but you take almost like an elder uh, yeah. elder role yeah. in, in the Absolutely. in the uh, in the team in, in yeah. jujitsu because now people are respectful because you have all this, this wisdom, this knowledge, this experience yeah, they beat you. Did they really beat you? Or are you just now, you know, passing the torch almost?
2: I mean, example, Helio Gracie, which Shelby obviously knows who he is. He's basically the founder of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He died in uh, 2008 um, at about 90 something years old. And um, I was, we were at the Europeans at the time and it was announced that he passed away. And then I started hearing stories all day long about stories of Helio Gracie. I think this is one of the things that really helped me as well. I can give many examples, but this is a great one. And uh, one of the stories I was listening to, a couple of guys that I knew, and they were like, yeah. I, they said, Said basically, I remember hearing about four four to five months ago, Helio was wrestling with 15-year-old orange belts toe-to-toe. So Helio was a small man. He in was his high. 90s? He was in his 90s, early 90s. And... Th- 4 or 5 months before he passed away, he was wrestling like two cats wrestle on the mats with 15-year-old orange belts. Now, 15-year-old orange like 15-year-old orange belts in Brazil are tough kids. Oh yeah. And he was going toe-to-toe with them. So, is he going to toe-to-toe with a with a 28-year-old world champion black belt? Not a chance. Not a chance. Boy, but
1: put everything into perspective.
2: But everybody's just going, "Look at that guy go." <laughs> You know and you know 15 year olds today's 15 year olds in any country you know like
0: well i was speaking with one of my former instructors uh don whitefield who who you know yes um he went down to brazil to train with ricardo de la Hiva because that was his he still sees de la Hiva, i believe still this was a few years ago but he still sees him as his his head black belt he likes to get promoted by him that's his his professor and he was saying that you know de la Hiva now is pro- i'm guessing probably in his 60s approaching 70s might even be in his 70s he at this time like 10 years ago he was still training with the the cream of the crop black belts that he was he was training yeah. and he was beating them up yeah he was all over them because it was like that technique and leverage was so honed and it was so consistent that he was taking these 200 pound black belts and de la Hiva, there's a there's a technique in jiu-jitsu called the De La Hiva Guard that's designed for smaller people that he designed himself. He is so good at it that he can take these 200-pound monsters and make them look weak. Yeah. And that is something to behold. When you yeah. see someone that's 150 pounds absolutely manhandling someone that's 220 pounds, that's when you know something is working. Yeah. And that's what I think jiu-jitsu does. And I think there's something to be said for... The technique that it brings you because you can apply that to anything that you do you you don't need to brute force your way through life it needs to be done with a little bit of finesse and it needs to be done with a little bit of a system and i think that's important because you're right and you're right joe montana like the top quarterback in history no one's going to think that the same way as for me in real estate if I end up getting more sales than some of these big dogs in here that you know they're doing hundreds of transactions a year. once they retire and all of a sudden I take over I'm not gonna say oh I'm, I'm a better realtor than them no that's not what it's about I'm just it's my time yeah. it's and their time is has already passed like that's kind of the way life works you, you're in your peak and then it's like the, not necessarily decline but it's a physical decline yeah and the wisdom is usually up from there so yeah. you're trying to surround yourself with people like that
2: yeah. That's what, and that's what I like about jiu-jitsu, you know? It, it's got that longevity. I hope to, I hope to be, you know, in my 70s rolling around with some of the with everybody, you know? Um except for Sergey. But uh, <laughs> Russian monster. Yeah. One one of the good wrestlers at our club, Dave. But uh yeah, put I, me what, up against him. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you can do is your intro class with Sergey. Oh they call me the romanian hot rod yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, yeah that's what i like about jujitsu is the longevity um you know i think i saw that right away and uh yeah i'm not gonna i, I like passing it on so yeah
0: it's really cool well i think uh, i think we have a lot to learn from an episode such as this and, and i want to thank you personally for coming on um I've always respected you you started training with my brother i was training with don in vancouver and you started training with kale and um, i've always appreciated the the knowledge that you've given him and and i absolutely blessed to be able to train with you now so uh thank you for coming on with us today and and providing us with you know the jujitsu perspective and and i think there's a lot that we can take from this the the loosening up on your ego the leadership aspects and the realization that in your Declining days physically, it doesn't mean that your mental capacity needs to decline as well. Yeah. So I really appreciate those lessons, so I want to say thanks for thanks for yeah. coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. Really got a lot out of this, and this has definitely been a topic that's always been interesting to me is uh, Jiu-Jitsu martial arts. Like I said, the mindset uh, as opposed to the technique. I've always been a small person personally, so learning technique is, is, is huge in whatever I do. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of people that can relate to that. Is there any wise words words of wisdom um that you would like to leave uh with our listeners today whether they're you know looking to get into jujitsu or any aspect of life where jujitsu can maybe help with that
2: yeah um I don't know it's uh you kind of caught me there I wasn't ready for a wise word ending here <laughs> uh well, hopefully I'll see you out for an intro class uh, I'm
1: actually strongly thinking about it now after yeah, this you episode come out
2: for an intro class. Um, yeah I mean like I said I, I think everything uh, you know I mean we probably could have talked for a l- An hour longer about some of these things, but I think everything the wise words, um, you know, were have been covered in the last hour. So, I mean, um, you know, I I, I like basically all I can say is, is I really like the whole, you know, the jujitsu. We have a club that's jujitsu for everybody, we all have all size and forms there. And if you want a good workout in and learn how to, um, you know, uh, you know, wrestle a little bit, come on down and try it. So yeah
1: awesome Awesome. well
0: thank you so much man i really appreciate it thanks again we'll uh hopefully we'll have you on sometime in the future as well yeah once once our club has expanded and we've helped bring wisdom to that many more people so thank you
2: all right thanks guys